Hello and welcome. Welcome once again, Legions, to the What You've Been Watching podcast. I am your host, the rotisserie fried, marvelous Mike Dudley. Joined as always by my co-host, cohort, and youngest brother. MD3 Marcus Dudley checking in on you. What's going on out there in podcast land? We are broadcasting live from studio number two of the What You've Been Watching fame. We are officially upgraded from... uh, Captain status, who owns one ship, to admiral status, who's out That's of multiple right. ships. So we are broadcasting from what you've been watching, Studio Two, here on the east side of Tallahassee, Florida, somewhere out by the Miccosukee Forest, somewhere out there. You'll find us. Um, we just want to give a shout out first and foremost to Kesta for Always. the lovely song Always. "Always Bright." A shout out to the lovely MK Dudley Art for the awesome banner that always hangs That's upon right. this. And uh, Mr. A1, as always, just because it's he's a fucking he's got hits after hits. You can find him at uh, a one reality dot music at Gmail. If you want any uh, propositions for beats, he'll make you some. You can make right. a beat out of uh, banging on some tin cans and uh, ruffling some uh, some chip bags if you had to. I'm sure he could. I heard he was playing DJ on a Victriola. <laughs> Any other sponsors or plugs we got going on to announce? Or do we get we do cover our bases for once? Uh, I where think can they might... where can they find us? Oh, at? Oh. oh yeah, they can find us at what you've been watching podcast at gmail dot com or facebook dot com slash Dudley Bros Podcast. That is a hundred percent. Please write us in. See how how kind we are, Michael. We give a shout out to our sponsors or, before you know, we even. I was out there picking up you know stray cats the other day, so I'm out there. Yeah, I was rustling in with a piece of turkey. I was out there uh, printing coupons I found in the in the newspaper out of the library and just giving them out to people. I don't know if they're valid or not, but you got a coupon. And only one way to find out. That's right. You got to go to the store. Can't win if you don't play the game. That's son. right. That's right. I was out there selling uh, bootleg lotto tickets <laughs> before they shut me down. How'd I win a chicken sandwich? <laughs> you just combined the two bits. Well done, That's sir. Right. Slowly, slowly but surely, one of my favorite bits we're doing now is just <laughs> putting random places in just like a fucking non sequitur, almost like a far side comic book. So, anyways, what's going on with you, my guy? Just plugging away, man. Just, just usual grind at work. <clears throat> I am, uh, I'm a little under the weather right now, so if there's a little rasp in my voice, if there's a little, uh, little phlegm, a little uh, smokiness, that's why. So just pardon me on that one. We're gonna we're gonna work through that and uh, all grow together. That's good. I was just gonna blame it on us being at a second location in a second <laughs> acoustic room, but just bear with us. We're trying to uh, get this podcast done quickly and efficiently as possible. Like I had mentioned earlier, we're playing with new mics now, trying to get it all focused. So uh, soon we're gonna get it all locked in, and it'll just be consistent, smooth as butter every damn time. Where if you get a McDonald's burger in Oregon, it should look and taste the same as a McDonald's burger in Florida. Kind of shit. You know what I mean? That level of consistency. You feel me? No, what you got to do is you got to move to the, like, the Midwest, like the flyover states. That's where they do all their, like, their, their food testing. They're like, ooh, what if we added bacon-flavored Pepsi or something like that? Like, that's where they, that's where they do all their food testing. So that, you get some wild shit there. Oh, that sounds disgustingly intriguing in a weird way oh uh anything else you want to talk about though man anything else happened in your world or i know i'm I'm heartbroken and happy at the same time what happened well if you haven't figured it out by now i'm not 100 percent sure where this is gonna when this is gonna air but uh 
process of Florida State getting screwed over. Oh, yeah. yeah Anybody yeah, yeah. that knows me or listens to this podcast at all knows that I'm a pretty diehard Seminole fan. And um, college football jumped the shark officially, man. Yeah, apparently uh, BCS ranking is based on wrestling booking now. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we just want to bring in the people that, that the teams are going to bring the most audience and the most advertising dollars. I'm like, so perfect seasons don't count for shit uh, then, huh? No, it's in the, not, well, not a one. They say it was never the most deserving team, which it historically has, but it's like maybe the team that earned it. Sure. How about that? Before sure. we start saying the words deserving, because that uh, airs to some level of entitlement, but when people earn something, it's like, all right, you should probably do the right thing here. And yeah. so it's a. Uh, I'm not big on tinfoil hat conspiracy shit and like the media, but like you can tell ESPN had their hand in like, we want an SEC team in here and oh, of course. we're going to have two one loss teams jump you. So I'll spare it all. That's all football talk for another day, but disappointed about that, but don't want to overshadow the fact they are indeed ACC champions. And not only that, I sometimes don't mention it on the podcast because they're just constantly kicking ass. <laughs> Because the Lady Seminoles in whatever sport, you name it, oh yeah, are doing their damn thing. Dominant. It's like last year. It's like, oh, you know, the uh, women's softball team's going to for World the Series. for the World Series. They're like, yeah, I'm not surprised. Right. This year it was like eight games in or like twelve games in or whatever. They're like, you know, the women's soccer is undefeated. I'm like, I knew they were doing well. Didn't know they were undefeated. 12, Again, twelve games is pretty good. No, they they just won the the national title. Oh well, hot damn! And were undefeated to well, do hot. so. Well, you know, but that doesn't really count. See, what they're going to do is right. they're going to bring in some, you know, other team because roll tide. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ! Yeah, no, um, just that's the other thing. It's just not that team. But anyways, um, but yeah, man, I sometimes don't mention it because they're just constantly just kicking ass. Every time I look at up, you know, they're like, oh, women's basketball is in the elite eight. You're like, yeah, I'm not surprised. So big shout out to the Lady Seminoles. I'll I'll say this as a Florida State alumni, I love that uh, we are dominant in both sports. And beautiful women. I can't speak for the academics, but... Uh... <laughs> Michael's like, I did the best I could to drop that GPA <laughs> and still get a degree. That's right. I'm getting a 4.0 in damage, son. <laughs> yeah, on top of that, though, something very important. The wonderful, wonderful school on the highest of the seven hills. I'm talking about FAMU, son. Mm-hmm. Motherfucking swag champions, dog. So yeah, this is just championship city around here. So it's right. Trying not to be overshadowed too much by the bummer shit, but uh, it hurts, man. Just, well, it's kind of cool. You know, it's it's hard to be humble when our city is just so much better than yours. It's pretty dope right now. That's why I got pissed off when uh, some of the national pundits or whatever were like, "Oh, there's a bunch of whining down there in Tallahassee." It's well, like, yeah, I'm like, shut up. Of man. course, shut up. Yeah. You I think got, if the 79 Dolphins had gone all, like undefeated and then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, but you guys aren't making it to the playoffs. You don't think that there would be riots in the streets? Yeah, exactly. They'd be like, what exactly. the fuck? Yeah. No, it's funny, man. It's been a... Uh, Dan Marino's like, I did what now? I did what now? Yeah. <laughs> hey, man. I mean, even then, you know, not to make too many sports analogies, but, uh, you know, the Patriots went 18-0 and and then lost to the Giants. A wild card team. It's like the results on the field have to matter. Exactly. So. And exactly. here's the thing. Also, everyone's like, oh, well, they don't want to see a blowout for the TV. I'm going to give you breaking news here. At le- There's been at least one blowout. They've been doing the college football playoffs right. for 10 years now. There's been at least one blowout. I mean, blown the fuck out every single year. Yeah. Sometimes more than one. Right. And nobody gives a shit. And that's sort of the that's sort of the right. inevitability of the game itself is that like sometimes you just get a bad matchup. Exactly. That, that's that's it's, the it's, nature of the beast. And 
you know, either either the wins matter or they don't matter. So yeah, it's and if they don't matter, then why am I literally breaking my neck on the field? No, and that's that's the part. I mean, I'm not trying to moral high ground anyone, but you know, you got to feel bad for the kids who were promised, like, hey, look, you, the coach is ultimately selling. Hey, look, if you stay here and you and you commit to the the vision I have, we're going to do something special here. And right. then it's at the end, here's your grand reward is the shaft. It's like, ooh. You know, it's just, it makes no sense. And part of the arguments I, I get so worked up about, which I invest too much time in this, I fully admit, as you can tell right yeah, now. Right. Is, I'm not going to talk about this 20 minutes later. Yeah, No, it's all the talking heads that are on like the ESPNs or the Fox Sports or whatever like that. They're the ones that justify it. They're like, oh, well, Alabama, the, every time I've tried, it's hard for me because obviously I look at things through garnet and gold colored lenses. But when you zoom out of it and you apply the same logic that they just said to the flip side of the coin, their whole argument falls apart. Right. So it's like you just got a bunch of talking points from your producer that said, hey, say these things. Every time we open up, mention the fact that Florida State doesn't have the resume to win. And it's just like, okay, cool. So that's enough of that. Lady Knowles, keep doing your thing. Fam, you keep doing your thing. Damn we're right. we're going to still be champions no matter what, big dog. So um, on that note, it's enough out of me. <laughs> why the people tune in is not to hear me bitch and complain about my beloved Seminoles. They tune in with purpose and intention, Michael. Uh-huh. And we must match said purpose and intention with this million-dollar question. Lay it on me. What you been watching, my brother? My guy. First off, that was really good. <laughs> Glad that was recorded. That was one take. But go ahead. Go ahead. My guy. I have gone yet another thousand miles in my journey of fast and furiousness. Oh my goodness. A oh, quarter yeah. mile at a time, and we're inching closer to the finish line. What my, did you watch now? Are you going in order? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Of course. I have to. I have to go in order. Uh, so I finished Tokyo Drift. It took me a minute because I was uh, kept putting it off and, and had other stuff I needed to see. You know, I'll, I'll get there. It's not like the fast movies are going anywhere. No, they're not. Uh, so, but yeah, finished Tokyo Drift. What'd you think? Not a good movie. <laughs> no. It, it almost killed the franchise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's very strange. It's to take a movie that they had basically spent two movies building a franchise around. And it, it, I guess originally it was they were, they were going to focus more on, uh, on the Brian character, <clears throat> on the Brian character as the main protagonist. And then to just throw that all away and just be like, this time we're going to Tokyo with a cast of people you've never met before to do something completely different than what we just did. Yeah, not drag racing, but drift racing. Well, and there's no heist. There's no, like, it's 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 almost like um, Last Samurai or something like that, you know? Like, like <laughs> a little bit. Foreigner comes in and just shows the Japanese people how it's done, but he also has to adapt to their way. It's like, you know, it's... it's... And Lil Bow Wow's there, let's not forget. Oh, yeah, and Lil Bow Wow. Uh, he might have just been Bow Wow at this point. Yeah, he went so little. Yeah, he's still pretty That's short, okay, but still. That's either right. way, either way. But yeah, it's it's like Dance with Wolves, but with like That's a, drift cars. I've never heard that analogy, <laughs> but it's exactly spot on. That that formula works of Dan drifts drifts with wolves or whatever. <laughs> drifts is with wolves. Drifts is with wolves. Yeah, <laughs> we like we like our plurals here. <laughs> No, I've never, I've never thought of it that way, but now that you say it and I'm zooming on, I'm like, yeah, it's exactly the same fucking yeah, formula. Yeah, yeah. So basically, uh, in a nutshell, Lucas Black uh, is this... In an underrated performance. <laughs> in an underrated performance, yeah. <laughs> no. 
Uh, he was likable in it, though. He, I mean, he was okay. He was, you know, it, it's it's one of those situations. It's very clearly a 28-year-old playing a 16-year-old. Yeah. They're like, bro, you have a mortgage. Like, <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> there's, no, there's no way, dude. It's like, like, it's like the uh, story that came out about when Judd Nelson was filming The Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. He went and got a quote-unquote fake ID. It was just his ID because he was hanging out at the high school. Right. And he bought, like, beer for underage people. And they were like, oh, bro, use your fake ID. He's like, sure. It's his, <laughs> his actual ID and shit. <laughs> anyway. That's yeah. funny as fuck. Yeah. I never knew that story. That's Judd funny. Nelson is, he's going to underrated performance just for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways, but. Uh, anyway, so Lucas Black is this all-American uh, Midwest kid. I think he's from Texas or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he feels Texan or Oklahoma-ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Oklahoma-ish. <laughs> he didn't let it slip by. Um, who... Uh, gets into a uh, bit of a kerfuffle with the law and has to go move to Japan with his dad. His auntie and uncle in Bel Air. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, pretty much. <laughs> Anyways, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm interrupting right. my jokes. I, uh, I, I hate when that happens sometimes on the back end, so I'm going to be quiet unless you're right. That's right. Um, yeah, moves, goes to live with his dad in Tokyo, who I don't know what his dad does. Apparently, it's something with the embassy or something like that why he lives in a hovel shack in like the poorest section of Tokyo. I don't understand. I probably think the embassy would take care, better care of their people, but I don't know. I don't have government foreign jobs. Me neither. (laughs) So anyway, goes to, uh, goes to Japan and goes to the American or the, the military high school where he integrates with Bow Wow and meets, you know, beautiful half Japanese chick and yada, yada, yada. He's a bit of, bit of a gearhead and gets into the drifting scene where he meets Han, who acts as his mentor in order to topple the dominion of one DK. That's right. Drift King. Yeah. Donkey Kong is here. They actually do make that joke. They're like, he's DK. You know what that stands for? He's like, I don't know. Donkey Kong. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty low-hanging fruit. Yeah. I took the bait again, didn't I? <laughs> it's all right. See, this movie's made for you. You'd love I know. it. I've seen it. I saw it's got it hot cars, hot women, hot times. Yeah. Josh Lucas shirtless. Yeah. Jeff wait, Nick. wait. Lucas Black. Sorry. <laughs> it's. <laughs> you could add him to the list of people. We're like, is that the same dude? We're like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Typecast. Anyway, so Josh Hartnett goes to Japan. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Louis Black goes to Japan. Yeah, that'd be a very different movie. He'd be just angry the whole time. What do you mean? I got to race these cars. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, Louis Black. Not bad. Your impressions are uh, sometimes not bad. Sometimes not bad. And sometimes they're... Uh, borderline. Pretty bad. <laughs> Let's just leave it at borderline, yeah. Thanks. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, so... So yeah, no, that's that's the basic premise, and then he must compete. I remember the the little drift scene down the mountain where he's like tires were almost going off the edge or whatever. Was oh awesome. yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a couple cool shots, but the problem is they had one or two cool shots, and then they redid them like forty over times and, and over. over. You're like, oh, you remember when we slid in underneath the cars and it showed the ed, the the back tire going off the thing? Like, let's do that six more times. And but this time from the left. Right. Yeah, yeah. And and the problem is that you can tell it's it's one of those bad CGI jobs when you can tell exactly like cut to cut to cut when they use a real car and when they use a CGI car because it is very very obvious. Like the CGI is way more like way more neon, it pops bigger, you know, like the the colors are are more saturated, you know, like they're they're more vibrant, sorry. Um whereas the real cars like you can tell like Oh, they filmed this at night, and so everything has like 
gray and black tones to it and it's a little bit more muted in the color scheme and stuff like that and then they'll immediately you know they'll, they'll do a, a shot of of a tire rolling on 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 the pavement or whatever and then they'll immediately cut to a wide angle of both the cars rolling down the the mountainside and you can tell like oh those are cgi cars that they're none of that is real yeah they they overdo it a little bit um isn't it justin lynn that did it justin lynn yeah which i'll say this he he did very much so become the director of choice for this franchise down oh, yeah. the road so maybe this was like we're gonna throw you something i mean because he definitely between after three they kind of reset the entire franchise with four which We'll get to that when you get there, but <laughs> four was a little bit of a reset for everything. They kind of reintroduced new things and brought back Dom, brought back Paul Walker. Spoilers. Yeah, whatever. Um, and then even they... You they, think they'll bring back Paul Walker again? They already have. Have they? Yeah. Yeah. Damn, I can't wait to get into this. Oh my God, it's crazy. Zombie Paul Walker? Uh, he's not a zombie, but... Uh... Race! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, no, it, goes, it just gets off the rails. You're, you're, you're inching closer to... Oh, what wait. what it truly is, but no, yeah. it, this it one is. was this one felt like a speed bump. This one felt like a, a major like kind of disruption in, in the in the whole series. It's like I mean, it's not bad. It's just so tonally different than anything that was before it. It is, and they were trying to kind of find something new and breathe new life into it and expand the world of like, oh, the Fast and Furious can go overseas too and work, and it's like, eh, can it? <laughs> Apparently, because yeah. now they're just James they're like, Bond in cars. Yeah, they're like it barely worked in Miami in the last. Let's <laughs> <one. laughs> be honest here. I will say, uh, I, I mentioned in the Fast and the Furious two uh, review how like Miami was completely open streets and stuff like that. At least in this movie, they do have the the streets are filled with cars, and so there is elements of them, you know, like. Doing doing the car chase thing where they're zipping in and out of lanes and trying right. to dodge traffic and stuff like that. So at least it, it's a little bit it's a little bit more realistic in that sense. They also kind of set it up where like, I mean if you what little bit I do know about drift racing is it's really confined areas. Like you mm-hmm. might be able to do it in a parking garage because it's so like hey you're gonna weave through these cones and then yeah it's basically driving in a direction and then breaking your car in 180 degrees and trying to go the opposite direction yeah, yeah, or like so, doing an immediate 90 degree turn or something like that. Yeah, so the necessity for the streets to be blocked off wasn't as apparent in this one, but sure, yeah, it's sure, a little workaround they did. But I just think it's interesting that they gave kind of this one to Justin Lin, and this is probably the weakest one. And then they doubled down on it later, and we're like, oh yeah, you're gonna be kind of the guy moving forward. Well, at that point, he had gone on and done, I think, Aquaman at that point. He had done... Um... Um, that's James Wan. Never mind. Yeah, that's the guy that did Saw. It's James Wan. Oh, uh, okay. And then the other guy of, of Saw directed that movie. Um, oh, man, it just slipped my mind. It had... Um... Shoot, I can't remember. Well, you know what they say. If you've seen Wan, you've seen Lin Amal. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> I'm just going to uh, shove that joke uh, in there and just ham fist that one. I was about the, it's not, not David Gordon Green because that's the direct, it's David something something about like they put an implant in his spine and he could do all these flips and kung fu shit then. Um, oh, oh. Uh, that was the other director I saw. Upgrade. Upgrade. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, what's the dude, the actor's name? It's a three, three named actor. Uh, I don't know. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. Joseph. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, that was the movie I was thinking of. Upgrade. Yeah. That was the other guy that did Saw. So, um. Yeah, James Wan is the other dude. But yeah, Justin Lin kind of became the helm for it. I know he took a step back in Fast 8 for F. Gary Gray, the director of Friday. Oh, I loved his uh, I loved his book, The Grapes of Wrath. <laughs> I don't 
even know who you're trying to say. Oh, I'm sorry. That's F. Scott that's Fitzgerald. F. Scott Fitzgerald. Actually, no. That's actually Steinbeck, but uh, never well, mind. <laughs> I, yeah, I know Fitzgerald did um, Gatsby, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, okay. I see. I'm surprising you with all my Fast and Furious right. knowledge today, aren't I? That's right. Naming off directors. I, I never read it, but I saw the movie. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. So, I don't know. Something about a green light and Leonardo DiCaprio is like Wolf of Wall Street in the 20s. I don't remember. I don't care. <laughs> Boring. He said, yes, Huey, but it was boring. <laughs> Anyways, uh, what else on the Tokyo Drift? Let's see. Uh, oh, they do this weird thing where um, like people will be talking in Japanese, and then they'll have subtitles. And then sometimes people will be talking in Japanese, and they don't have subtitles. Did you watch it with subtitles on? I did, but even even then, they still wouldn't put what was being said in Japanese in subtitles, so... Probably because the main character wasn't supposed to know, which is a weird artistic choice. Or like they would do the immediate or it was thing. irrelevant. Yeah, do the, or they'd immediately do the thing like, wait, wait, what did he say? And then he would just repeat. But like still, like you got you got to play with that, you know? Like you, you either put the subtitles down or just fuck it. Have everybody be like, everybody in this high school speaks English. Yeah, which is always fun. It's like everyone in old times always speaks with a British accent. Uh-huh. Yeah, or anyone that's supposed to be sophisticated is a British accent or anyone of power, which I was like, oh, let's give him to fucking... Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> so, what's Ray Fiennes doing? I know, Getting right? Him up. <laughs> Which I actually—that's the one thing I did like about What If—is they got an American actor to do uh, the voice of um, Uatu, the Watcher. In oh the yeah. What If cartoon? Yeah, Jeff, his, yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey Wright. Yeah, that's it. I almost said Jeffrey Rush, but that's a different Jeffrey. That's a very different. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I did kind of like that they did that, but anyways, we're way off off the the rails. We're way time. off the grid. Yeah, uh, we're talking about Fast and Furious Tokyo Drip, sort yeah, of. Yeah, and then of course. Uh, in the end, you know, he has to blend both cultures. So in order to win the race, they get uh, uh, an American uh, car. I think it's like a, a Shelby or a Stingray or, or whatever. One of those like, but then they soup it up with Japanese motors because Japanese building, Japanese engineering. Yeah, they're not wrong. I mean, you know. I mean, like I drive a Toyota right now. <laughs> Probably that'll probably be my next car too. <laughs> yeah, one way or another, I'm going to die on this car. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So yeah, so of course it's. He said, "Die on this car." <laughs> so of course it's the perfect fusion of like we must blend both cultures together, and and but only then may we triumph over our enemies. So you know, and it works. It prevails, Michael. Yeah, Unity does. prevails. Yeah, so it's of course it's you know like I said it's it's. Dances with wolves. It's a man called horse. It's all of that, just with you know Japanese cars, Japanese drifting cars. Yeah. So here's my question for you, sir. Okay, what's up? Family count. Oh, how many times how many do you oh, think that they say this. family in this? Hmm. I don't think this was a huge because the theme was really more in the first one, and then they just drug that into the earth. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna give it three. Three? Just a random guess. I base that off nothing. One time. One time? Who says it? One time. Main character? After, uh, spoilers, after Han's death uh, at the end of the movie, uh, uh, Lucas Black is uh, getting ready to go do his, you know, he's the new DK, so he's going to go do another race, whatever. And uh, Bow Wow comes up and he's like, hey, uh, what's the kid's name? Uh, I think it's Sean. He's like, hey, Sean, somebody wants to talk to you. He's like, yeah, I'll talk to him in a minute. He's one of Han's friends. 
he says he, or I'm sorry, he's he's he says he knew Han. He says he's family, and then of course they zoom in, and it's fucking Dominic Toretto. Yeah, Dominic. Like, Han was the the Jap uh, the, the Japanese dude in the first one, right? Is mm, the same character? Or? No, no. I think Han was introduced in three. Oh, he dies in three too, though, doesn't he? Well, and then I I I don't know. Apparently, he comes back through retcons because apparently three happens. After eight, but before nine, it makes yeah. Somebody knows like, the timeline, but I don't the, care. Yeah, they they somehow retcon it to where like everything that happened in Fast Three didn't happen until much much later. But then he comes back, so I don't know. Like I, it it becomes very comic booky. Yes, it's yeah. Just because they like these people in these franchises, so no, it gets pretty bad. But you're you're getting there. Yeah, it's four, like four is pretty weak too. Uh, then five is when you're like, oh, I see what they're finally going okay. for. Okay, so, so I got one more slog I got to get through. Four is just kind of a reset. It's it's starting to you can start to see the pieces come together, and then they just throw those pieces. They finally in. figured out what works and what doesn't. They're like, if we're gonna do this, let's do it. Like, kind of just set the groundwork, and then five is like, what are people here for? They're here for fucking high scenes and crazy stuff right. happening in these cars. Big meaty men slapping meat. I mean, pretty much. And then there's <laughs> just always a scene in each one of them that's like, all right, how can we one up that? Man, I've I've been a big advocate, and we'll talk about it when you get there. I don't want to spoil it too much, but. Five is a lot of fun. You can okay. you can kind of crap on the rest of them. They all kind of have their merits and their flaws or whatever. But five, the high scene in Brazil is pretty actually pretty dope. Okay. So, so but yeah, four is a bit of a reset, and then after that, I kind of lose track. I don't think I saw <laughs> six. I know I saw seven. I know I've seen eight, nine, and not ten yet. So okay, we'll get there. We'll get no there Hobbs together. Shaw? No, nah, not yet. I'll see Statham. So, oh, oi, oi. it's a race, isn't it? It's a race, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> But uh, any uh, review, any other final thoughts on it, on Tokyo Drift? How would you rate Bow Wow's performance? Bow Wow's performance? He was in Like Mike, remember? <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. And wasn't he, uh... no, that was Jaden Smith. Sorry, He was, was in Lotto Ticket. Lotto Ticket? Yeah, about his grandmother passes away and she always played the right numbers and she sent him to the store to go get the Lotto Ticket. And so he has the winning lotto ticket, and what's he going to do with it? Oh, oh boy, so it's, it's the like, church could use some of that money. Oh, boy, the homeless shelter could use some of that. Oh, let's not be greedy. Oh, it's, so it's like the black blank check. Black check, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, kind of. <laughs> kind of. The kids know he's not quite as a little fucker as that movie. But. <laughs> well, what would you give this movie, this triumphant return? Oh, man, I'm going to give it... One star. <laughs> well played. Well played. All right. What else have you been watching, my guy? Let's see. After that, uh... oh, I saw I saw uh, uh, Mixed Nuts. What is that? Mixed Nuts is a holiday farce with uh, Steve Martin and Madeline Kahn and Adam Sandler and Leah Schreiber and um, I think Parker Posey. Not Parker Posey. Who am I thinking of? Older Parker Posey. Uh, you know say? It'll come to me. Anyway, uh, but basically it's the story of a, it's a suicide prevention hotline hmm. uh, in LA working through Christmas Eve and sort of just all the eclectic, funny characters that sort of come through. Like, Leah Schreiber plays a, a transgender woman. Okay. And... and to his credit, like they actually don't play it for loud. It's not. It's not just like, oh, it's a man in a dress for funny. Like right, he right. actually plays it. Like, no, this is. I am 
he believes he is a woman or is a woman, whatever. I, I got you. Yeah, yeah, no, it's <laughs> not trying to. It's not a comedic thing. It's not a bit. Right, yeah, right, yeah. right, right, right. That's kind of actually the reason why Tu Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Sally, Jesse, Raphael, or whatever. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm dead serious. That's why that movie works. Is yeah. it's like they're not doing it. It's like you no, could, no, like you like, could yeah. be like, oh, look at Wesley Snipes in a dress. Like he plays it as if, yeah, he yeah. Was. And John Leguizamo is phenomenal. Yeah, he's he's so movie. good. Yeah. I mean, like, but anyways, um, we're, we go off the rail so quickly. It was just yeah. a reason for me to shoehorn in some Johnny Leguizamo talk. <laughs> Johnny Legs. I'll give him another underrated yeah. performance right now if you want me to. He's yeah. got enough. But who did, who did he play? Uh, what was this? Chichi Rodriguez? Yeah, yep. Yeah, that's it. He he did a lot of research in that, and the fact of he's like uh, he was saying the people he know that are in that community, or whatever he was saying, they can never match their uh, their uh, skin tones or whatever. So they typically just go really white faced or whatever, right? At least in the Puerto Rican community, and they go past wherever their their clothes is going to be, just right, so just in case, right? Yeah, and so he was saying like he took all that to heart and really swung for it. So. That's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah. What are we talking about? Mix nuts. nuts. Mix nuts. nuts. Lee and, Driver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Saber tooth. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, it's you know, it's it's just a fun comedy movie. I wish I could remember who directed it. Let me look this up. Hold on. Uh, directed by the great Nora Ephron, turns out. So okay, yeah. What else did uh, I believe she do? She did uh, Sleepless in Seattle, When Harry Met Sally, Michael, um, John Travolta, the Angel movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh man, I remember that for some reason. That's right. It came out around the same time as the movie Powder, and what was the, what was the other one? Phenomenon. Phenomenon. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Phenomenon is John. Michael is Angel John Travolta. Phenomenon is uh, John Travolta with psychic powers. And, and Powder had psychic powers too, right? What did he have? And also electric powers. That's right. That's, That's right. right. That yeah. was uh, that was Sean Patrick Flannery. <laughs> Who is that? He's the other guy in the Boondock Saints, not Norman Reedus, but the other brother. Oh, that's hilarious. Wasn't Skeet Ulrich in that too? No, that was uh, like healed or saved or something like that. That's Skeet Ulrich with Jesus healing powers. Oh, that's right. See, all those movies probably came out within like a two-year span. That had uh, that also had Tom Arnold as the bad guy. Which one? The healed? Jesus oh, nice. healing power ones. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, real keeper. <laughs> anyway, it was probably Giovanni Ribisi I'm thinking of. He was in everything. <laughs> anyway. Seth Green. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways. We're talking about mixed nuts. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Nora Ephron, yeah. what she directed. Yeah, anyway. I mean, I don't have a whole lot to say about it other than like it's just classic, you know, mid-90s comedy. It came out in, I want to say like 94, 95, something like that. You said Steve Martin's in Steve it? Steve Martin, yeah. He and plays Adam Sandler? And Adam Sandler, yeah. So basically the the suicide prevention line is is set up in like an old, you know, apartment slash office building, I guess. Like they have a whole, they have they have an old like elevator that that like runs through the set like the, the old kind where you have to like close the gate yeah, and yeah. stuff like that uh madeline khan gets stuck in there for like 20 minutes and it's hilarious and she has to pee and stuff like that so um steve martin is is taking calls and just hearing all the stupid bullshit that people are doing on on uh christmas eve you know because his whole thing is the, is the place is going to get shut down because they they're not making any money they can't afford to like yeah, pay the rent whatever so it's like and his whole point is like we don't make money off of this like we can't charge like right. and so of course he's just the the affable you know lovable do-gooder you know he just wants to do the right thing and, and make sure that he can take care of people and stuff like that uh, yeah that would be kind of shitty like oh thanks for calling like that'll be 9.95 rest of this call will cost you 5.99 right, exactly. a minute exactly yeah, no, that'd be shitty. So for me to tell you that you're a good boy, press seven. 
Oh, Lord. Yeah, no. <laughs> so it's just a struggle to keep the lights on and kind of what does it all mean kind of thing? Pretty much. Pretty much. And like I said, it's just it's a cast of just, you, you know, weird oddities all converging in a single place. You know, there's there's a guy who keeps calling into the uh, into the center and he, he his whole request is like, may I wish a woman a Merry Christmas? And then as soon as he gets a woman on the phone, he's like, oh, I want you so bad. I want to binge. Oh, I want to, I want to kiss you. I want to da-da-da, you know, whatever. And Madeline Kahn gets on the phone, and she's like, I want to da-da-da-da-da. And he's like, yes, go on. I, you believe, I believe you were saying something about eating my pudding. <laughs> and he just hangs up. <laughs> oh, Lord. The old okey-doke. That's right. Oh, uh, yeah, Leave Schreiber gets on the phone. He's like, I wish a woman a, a Merry Christmas. He's like, this is a woman. Click. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> Got to be more careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It's just fun. It's no, it's, I've never. I don't. Think it's, a, it's a really sort of. It's it's the lightest sense of of dark comedy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like it, it's dark comedy, but it's very upbeat, very hopeful dark comedy. Hell yeah. Well, I do like me some dark comedies. What would you rate this movie, Mix Nuts? Uh, I'm gonna give it one Adam Sandler song. Oh, he sings a song in it. Oh yes. Is it the Hanukkah song? No. Is it an all original? It is for it is specifically for that for the movie, yeah. Huh. It's an Adam Sandler exclusive, so you gotta go watch the movie if, if you want to watch. Does he play original man child? Like, Adam oh yeah, Sandler? oh yeah, okay. he, he's it's definitely early Adam Sandler yeah, stuff. Okay. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, classic Adam. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I seen something else, but I feel like maybe we should pin that at the end because it'll tie into Tokyo Drift. Very nicely. So let me ask you, brother, what you been watching? My guy, thank you so much for asking. I thought we'd never get there, but we did. <laughs> um, no, I know what movie we're we're going to talk a little bit later about Godzilla minus one for those that just to, probably going to be in, the, in title the title of this anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, we're going to talk Godzilla minus one, which we got a lot of thoughts on that. So I'll try yes. to try to get through this, and then we'll take a break and we'll really dive into some G minus one. Um, I did watch um, for the first time in a very long time. I, I was talking about it with uh, with Angie, and we were talking about like classic cartoons and stuff like this. And um, we were talking about the stop animation uh, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Mm-hmm. And I kind of came to a realization I haven't seen. Oh, what it was? I saw a um, what's his name? Flame Miser. What's his name? Heat Miser. Heat Miser. I'm Mister yeah, yeah. Heat Miser. Yeah. yeah. See, I botched it already because I was a uh, Christmas sweater shopping and I saw a, a Heat Miser shirt. And I awesome. like it didn't register at first. I was like, "Who the hell?" And then I, I was like, "Oh yeah, from uh, the, the claymation, or whatever." That's right. And then I realized, is that the Christmas without a Santa Claus? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure, but probably. Um, but I realized at that moment, like I said, without realizing it, that um, I hadn't seen those in a long time. Back in the day, like the old Christmas cartoons, really any of them. I know I watched The Grinch annually, sure. But like I hadn't seen Charlie Brown or any of them in a long time. Oh man. Because I mean back in the day it was an event. It was like, you know, Sunday night at seven on ABC. Yeah. You're gonna get, you know, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer and uh Frosty Stone Man back to back. And, and then like, you no gotta word. Right. Then you gotta tune into NBC to watch Charlie Brown Christmas and the Grinch. And right. You gotta tune into Fox to watch whatever. You know? Right. And they all might have played them once or twice, but it wasn't really like it was kind of a big deal. Yeah. And I don't think I've really seen them. Since those times, since I was like maybe in middle school, wow! Like it, it's been, been a, a really long time. Um, okay, and I so I sat down and I watched Charlie Brown Christmas for the first time in many That's many awesome. years. And again, obviously, I know I've seen it before that, but um, not very eventful. <laughs> not a lot happens in that cartoon. <laughs> no. 
It's like the whole. It's like, a six-minute cartoon that they stretched into twenty-two minutes. Twenty-two. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, <laughs> it's like pretty much he gets the tree. They cuss at him a lot, but you know, they're like, "F you, Charlie, you suck." And they're like, "Oh, it's not so bad a tree." And it's like, "Man, you guys are kind of mean to this kid on Christmas." And the whole. Uh, the I meeting. mean, he did have one job. Yeah, he does botch it pretty. You know heavily. what I mean? Like, and he's not that good of a play director. He bails pretty quickly. <laughs> He like comes in. I can't work under these conditions. Yeah, he starts barking a bunch of stuff. I'm like, all right, we're going to set the bar really, really, really low for you. Just go get a tree, a big one, because we're going to, you know, the commercialization of Christmas, whatever, whatever. And, uh, yeah, and he botches it. And uh, I was asked the question, who is cooler, Scooby-Doo or Snoopy? And without hesitation, I said Snoopy. You think so? Being, hold on, hold on, hold on. This, that's not a shot. At Scooby-Doo. Okay. Scooby-Doo is cool as hell. Right. Upper echelon. In terms of like cartoon animated dogs, he's upper echelon. Yeah, no. He's just cool yeah. as hell in any metric. Like, it's you know. like him and Paw Patrol. I mean, pretty much. <laughs> but like Snoopy's the OG. His persona is Joe Cool. Like He's he's that dude. He's been that dude. That's, you're not wrong. He's also cool enough to not care. You know what I'm saying? He's kind of a dick sometimes. Like, just admittedly. He right. just kind of is. But he's pretty rad, man. In terms of just being cool. I had to give it to Snoopy on that I mean, one. I mean, he never did shoot down the the Red Baron, so... Yeah, but he lives to fight another day, though. That's true. That's true. Another day for a World War One flying ace. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, hey, let the Scooby-Doo, you know? <laughs> I don't know if fear is necessarily cool, but he kind of makes it cool, which says a lot. But um, I don't know. Who do you think? What would be your answer? Because I, I was Snoopy pretty quick off. I was like, and it's not a shot at Scooby, but Snoopy is the OG of it all, man. I mean, I, I just was never... Like, I like the Charlie Brown Christmas and the It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. You know, I, I like the specials and stuff, but, like, I never really read the Peanuts cartoon and, you know, comic strip as, as far as, like, ooh, I can't wait to see what that dim-witted bald kid is up to again, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just for me, I, I, I definitely have more of a connection with Scooby-Doo, but... Doesn't mean he's cooler. No, it just means I, I grew up... More, I, that was more my flavor of Kool-Aid growing up, you know? So so the wrong answer is what you're saying. That's <laughs> no, your subjective thing. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Well done. Yeah, no, I actually was not, I'm not huge into peanuts, but I, Snoopy has always been my guy. I, yeah. I've loved Snoopy forever and I still always will. It's like a couple things to me will never get uncool and it's like Snoopy, Ninja Turtles, the Coca-Cola Bears and yeah, yeah. Calvin and Hobbes. It's like yeah, yeah. It's I like, love me some Calvin Hobbes. It's just any one of those four things. It's like yeah, I'm I'm cool with it. It's I like pro wrestling. I like titties. <laughs> I like naps. <laughs> but no, it was nice to uh, finally go back and kind of watch Charlie Brown Christmas and um, just kind of appreciate it for what it is. It love it or hate it, it is it is a classic. You know, it whether it stands the test of time, you can kind of be eh. But a lot of I mean, strong. The, me- the message is, is very clear. It's it's. I mean, slight Christian overtones, yeah. but you know, uh, yeah, you know, essentially the message is it's all about. It's not about what you have for the holidays. It's about coming together with people and and sharing what everybody has. Sort of, you know, yeah. rejoice, man. Right, our Christmas comrade. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> oh man. Um, if I had to rate it though, I would give it a. It wasn't so bad a tree after all. <laughs> It's a pretty good, review. pretty good review. So did it? Uh, did watching this uh, awaken any desire to go revisit some of the old classics, like the the Heat Miser and or the Frosty the Snowman or anything like that? Good question. It does actually, and that's okay. that's next on my list. Okay. Um, maybe pre. I don't know when all this is airing. We're kind of dating ourselves a little bit, but it'll be. Um, I'm going to be watching them throughout the continued holiday season. So yeah. um, 
and even then it's like I know Rudolph again it was a big deal as a kid and I know certain lines from her, right. like oh she said I'm cute right. like all that mm-hmm. stuff but it's been well over 10 I years to be a dentist right it's been well over 10 years since yeah. I've seen it in its entirety like well over again I watched the Grinch every year every yeah. year yeah yeah, yeah. And it ain't Christmas till Pinky tells me that it's Christmas. <laughs> I act, every year I always watch, and it's it's a really obscure cartoon. It was done by I want to say, I want to say it's a Looney Tunes cartoon, but it was directed by I think Chuck Jones. It's called Peace on Earth, Goodwill Towards Men, and it's basically a post-apocalyptic tale about uh, the fall of man. Yeah, basically. It, now, mind you, this came out in, I want to say, 1934, 35, so like right before the onset of World War II, well, before the Americans got into World right, War right. II. Um, and basically, it's about how humanity kills itself, and then all the woodland creatures, after the dust settles, comes out, and they find a Bible, and they basically read the, the, the passage of, you know, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, and they basically build out of the ashes of the fallen man's world, a Christmas story <laughs> and a utopia and a utopia. Yeah. So it's, it's this really, it's a really good cartoon. It is a really, a really, really good, good cartoon. cartoon. It's the animation is like, I talked earlier about it being very dark and also very light. Like the, the, the descriptions of, of that, the, the grandfather squirrel is reading to his little uh, chipmunk, uh, uh, grandchildren or whatever you know he's talking about man was this hulking beast with you know long arms and a pointed stick and a long snoot that came down into his into his belly you know talking about the old the gas World War mask, One yeah. gas mask yeah. you know and beady eyes that never blinked you know talking about the, the goggles and stuff like yeah. that um, like in a hard head and this and that yeah yeah, yeah. And, so, and, and, and so the, the, the actual imagery that they use to show the desolation of man. I mean, literally there's bombs falling. There's, there's people running and getting shot down and you can hear gunfire and people screaming. And then at the end it's, it comes down to two men on opposing sides and one fires and, and wounds the guy. And then he fires back and kills the guy. And then he succumbs to his wounds. And so out of that, the woodland creatures all come out and build this utopia based on like, you know, this book that apparently no human ever read, you know, like I, you know, the, the, they go to wise Owl and he's like, seems like a good book to me. Shame. They never read it. Yeah. Yeah. Again, so. strong Christian overtime. Yeah. For yeah. Yeah. But, but again, the message is still good. The, the message ultimately is like come together or perish, you know, like stop fighting, stop being so stupid about all that. And just, especially during Christmas time, Enjoy the season. Enjoy each other's right. company. Enjoy like the the act of like we're going to put aside our differences and all come together for one unified celebration. That's what's up. No, it is a. I know exactly what cartoon you're talking about. You used to play it for me quite often, mm-hmm. and I still one of my favorites, man. But I know to answer the question, it did make me want to go back and watch some of the old stop claymation ones, and which I think are Rankin and Bass technically, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think you mentioned that. So I'll be checking those out here, and maybe just wait a whole year to review them again. But we'll see. Right. Until then, it wasn't such a bad tree after all. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. No. Uh, other than that, speak to pivot to something that also has some pretty strong overtone, religious overtones. It is not a movie, but I, Angie had a birthday in October, and I bought her. We've been kind of on a play kick recently. I mentioned on the podcast before that, like, like theater play. Yeah, theater right. play. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, not playing in the bedroom. Um, but no. Um, I'm so lonely. I know, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but we've been um, going to theater. We've been seeing some local shows and stuff like that. I mentioned mm-hmm. we saw Rent. mentioned we saw The Play Goes Wrong. Technically, anywhere you go, aren't you seeing local shows? Mm, I think Broadway might be the exception. If you go to Broadway, too. But if you're in Broadway, isn't that a local show? Uh, I guess if you live there, yeah. <laughs> I guess, yeah. But either way, uh, we're going to smaller theaters, I should say. <laughs> but they did have a traveling Broadway show come to Jacksonville, and I bought tickets for Angie's birthday. Sweet. I finally saw The Book of Mormon. Oh, do tell. Michael, it, it lives up to the hype. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's it's uh, Trey Stone, or Matt Stone and Trey Parker. I almost got it backwards, yeah. Trey Stone, Matt Parker, Yeah, whatever. written by, I think, is the other dude. I can't remember. There's a third writing partner, and I forget his name, and I apologize uh, for his that. His name is Joseph Smith. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Um <laughs> No, and they write it's it's kind of a send up of the entire Mormon religion, but it's also like about optimism and how really the the moral of the story without spoiling too much is like as silly as these stories are, like somebody gets in trouble because they they're missionaries and they go to Africa and they go to the poorest part of Africa. They uh-huh. go to like some Ugandan thing that has some military dictator that's chopping uh circumcising women let's just say oh yeah yeah and uh it's pretty good you get that job i know right (laughs) he was voted in democratically (laughs) for the record so wrong of you to assume that but um yeah and so it's the these two mormons that are elder price and elder cunningham and okay elder price he's like the 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 marvel student at the the missionary in salt lake city they're like oh or not the, the uh the school, as it were, the okay, the where you do your, your seminary. Seminary, thank you. That was what I was looking for. He's like the the A plus student. Seminary. <laughs> he's the A plus student. His whole thing, he jokes about. It. He's like, I want to go to Orlando. He's like, Orlando is the place of paradise. And they said, Why him, Orlando? There's a whole song about it. Okay. Yeah. Um, as per usual. Yeah, I'm not. Everything else is explained in song. Yeah, no, it's it's brilliant. Um, okay. Yeah, it's it's a he went when he was a kid, and ultimately it was a place of wonder. And he's like, that's where I can do the most good. He gets paired with a bumbling kind of uh, buffoonery kind of guy, low tier on the seminary. Okay. And they get paired together and go Kind of an Abbott and Costello kind of thing? A little bit. Okay. A little bit. They're both very optimistic and stuff. And one, Elder Price, the, the novel student, kind of has a uh, crisis of faith as they go. Okay. A crisis of faith as they go. And they realize, like, I'm not going to do any fucking good here. So okay. it's, um, it's really, really funny. Um, just some of the concepts of one of the uh, the characters, uh, Elder Cunningham. He tells him very early on. He's like, "Oh, I pretty much I lie about things." And at one point, they finally try to convert the village, and Elder Price has his own crisis or whatever, and he runs off. And so it's ultimately Elder Cunningham teaching this Ugandan tribe stories about Mormon that aren't the actual stories at all. It's like, oh, and then the Avengers came and they <laughs> and it just gets way off the rails. And it's so fucking funny. Michael, it it is Okay. I'm not big on theater, but I can see why it won however many Tonys it got and won Best Musical. It's it's genius on a lot of different levels. Okay. Man. Okay. Um Yeah, I've I've always appreciated uh Trey and Matt as sort of performance artists. Like they're 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 very genuinely good songwriters. It, it in the same vein as like Weird Al is a great songwriter. You know, like could they do a you know just a straight up rock song? No, probably not. But they can make fun of anything to a tune. Yeah, I mean, 
I don't know. I think they're I better. Mean, Blame Canada got I nominated mean, for an Oscar. Oscar. I think they're better musicians than than people ever let on. Oh, but, for sure. I mean, I, I think it shows. But, but I, I just mean in terms of like if you're looking for them to be like a rush or a, a like a, a quote unquote legitimate bands, like that's not their shtick. That's not that's not their 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 groove. You know. Oh like, yeah, that, no, I got you. I got you. But they yeah. they very much are comedic songwriters, but. In terms of comedic songwriters, they're pretty fucking they're good high songs, up there. Though it's yeah. like Dewey Cox works so well because they are funny songs, but they're good songs. But right, they're also very well written. Yeah, no, that's. I think South Park is a lot of that too, and it, it really shows here. My favorite song, and this is I, I won't spoil it too much, but um, there's a song that they break into as everyone. I'm not like trying to be mean or whatever. A lot of the villagers have AIDS. Okay. And that's just one one of their many perils. I, I shouldn't laugh at that. No, okay. no. I mean, it's it's South Park. Like, you can't be offended. And, like, just don't watch South Park. Man. Right, like, right, don't, right. Don't go. Like, but there's all sorts of issues that are plaguing. Obviously, there's a warlord. There's people starving to death in the streets. And so, I don't want to spoil it too much, but I'm going to a little bit. Okay. Because I can't do it justice. You could, I could tell you about it. You still have to go see it. Sure. But they ultimately come up with this saying, the villagers, and it's Asadiga Iboi. And they're like, oh, is that like uh, one of the the Mormons? Is like, oh, is that like Hakuna Matata? He's like, <laughs> he's like, eh, kind of. And they start singing it, and they get the the two Mormons to sing it, Elder Price and Elder Cunningham. And they're like, well, what does it mean? And he's like, well, let's see, Asadiga, pretty much means God. And he's like, Iboi ultimately means fuck you. So in English, you would be saying, <laughs> fuck you, God. <laughs> and so the whole point is like, people are starving in the streets. Asadiga Iboa. <laughs> it's like, and they just lift off these terrible things. And they're like, that's how we get by our days here. Right. And obviously, it's hilarity ensues when the Mormons realize what they're saying. And uh, that's like the the main title song of, of the whole show, but. It's brilliant, man. Like it just—it takes so many turns. It's so well crafted. And again, I could talk about it all day. I don't want to spoil too much of it, but I mean, it's—if you get an opportunity to go go see the Book of Mormon, just do it. It's cool. It's really how was the like? How is the overall production like in, in in terms of set and costuming and all that? Like, did it did it look chintzy and cheap, or did they? Was it was it like high school production quality? No, no, no. Or I mean, I I imagine they spent quite a bit of money. So I'm just I'm kind of curious in terms of like. Were the huts like you know like cardboard cutouts and stuff like that? Or? No, it was it was legit. I mean, I, granted, I have nothing to compare it to except for either local theater, which it certainly didn't look like that, and I've never been to Broadway, but I can tell that this being the official off Broadway play, right. like the one that they're touring, that like Matt Stone and Trey Parker are in the playbill, being like written by this person, like right. they give them credit. I don't think that they would sign off on the off Broadway production or whoever the director was previously. To be like, yeah, just take this across everyone and yeah. go botch it, right. you know? Yeah, do whatever you want. Yeah, you know? yeah, so it's it's pretty official. And you could tell, that, like, when you start to read the cast, there wasn't, like, any movie stars, but everyone had, like, some pedigree to them. They were like, oh, this is this person's actually first off-Broadway play, but he's been doing plays since he was, like, eight. Right, so, like, right. So it's, well, that's, yeah, that's that's sort of the hierarchy of theater is, you know, you... you work the local circuits, then you work the state circuits, and then all of a sudden you start getting cast in, you know, things on opposite coasts and whatnot. And then eventually it's like, hey, I'm Ben Vereen. Right, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Josh, actually one of the, Elder Cunningham, the one who's like the super into Star Trek and like is the one that's a big liar, he he was actually played by Josh Gad on, um, in Broadway. Oh, nice. And so he, it's a little bit, his character is very much so like Olaf, or whatever, kind of like, oh, hey, I'm doing this. But 
you can tell like I was a really good Olaf by the way. It actually was. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate that. Um, it's perfectly cast though. I got not once did I feel taken out of it. Uh, one of the the villager's daughter is one of the main characters. She has an she had an incredible voice. So I don't know. This is the play is so funny. Like the source material is so good that even you if the, you you mean the actual Book of Mormon. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know, right? Um, that's pretty good. No, but I mean, what Matt, Matt and Trey wrote is so good that even if it was a local theater, like you could, it's kind of like pizza. You could kind of, you right. can only fuck it up so bad. Right, as long right, as the right. outcome is close right. to pizza, right, it's like right, right, still right. going to be edible. You, you have a few basic key ingredients, and right. you know, you know, right. some dough, some sauce, some cheese. Put it in an oven for I don't know a couple of minutes. Yeah, like the actual, it's hard to fuck it up. Right, the writing of it is so good that like I. Even if you get to see a smaller production, I would I would go. It's really awesome. really funny. Awesome. So yeah, I enjoyed it. And unfortunately, on the way back, we got caught in a tornado warning and had to spend the night halfway between there and Jacksonville. Oh no! So, yeah. Where was that? I don't even know what town yeah, that would it was be. Lake City, Lake City. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Like literally about halfway. So That's, okay. Yeah, it was. I don't mind driving in rain, but it was like I can't see anything. Yeah, there's a certain point yeah, where like, like, this is legitimately dangerous. So if we had somewhere else to go, like we ate at a Cracker Barrel, and then we were like, "Shout out to Cracker Barrel!" Yeah, shout out to Cracker Barrel. Please sponsor us. Yeah. Oh my God, I want to yeah. get some free Cracker Barrel swag. That would be dope. Yeah, they got a whole <laughs> store up there, Michael. I want one of those rocking chairs so bad. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> one but, day. Yeah. One day I'm going to be rich enough to afford a Cracker Barrel rocking chair. <laughs> Aim for the stars. You That's might right. land. You might land on the moon, pal. <laughs> Or however the saying is, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I gave up a long time. I don't ago. know. I, don't know. <laughs> uh, I will rate the Book of Mormon two two frogs, yeah. two frogs, two frogs, two okay. frogs. Yeah, yeah. No, but I, again, the, the whole point of it though is like, as these things go, whatever. Like, it it actually does do the the Book of Mormon. It doesn't, in my opinion. It, it may be blasphemous to those that go, but for me, just I can only say it from my perspective on the outside looking in, not a Mormon. Right. But it doesn't do it an incredible disservice. I mean, I'm sure they're probably like some of the shit is absolutely blasphemous to them, but like there's such good spirits about it that when it ran in Broadway, they took a, a play, an ad out in the playbill. We're like, hey, if you're interested in the Book of Mormon, reach out here. And they would give out pamphlets and stuff outside. Oh, like the Church of Latter day Saints, basically? Yeah, the actually, yeah, the actual, <laughs> the actual Church of Mormon. Yeah, we do that. And so the ultimate kind of the moral of it is is like the stories don't matter it's about whatever the outcome is in terms of who it helps and so they kind of they actually stick the landing pretty well okay I, yeah I, I don't want to get into a religious debate of the damage caused by religion i'm saying for for the principles of this play sure it sticks sure. the landing pretty well okay okay so in, in terms of it does play by its own morality rules yes I, okay because yes. okay. that's a whole different conversation right. about right. well is religion actually what damage there's plenty of that to go around, but that's that's a conversation for a much later day. But oh. I can see where you're starting to go with that. <laughs> pivot off it quick. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. So um, other than that, man, we can talk Godzilla minus one. You want to take a break real quick? Yeah, let's take a quick break. Uh, do we have any sponsors today? We do. Our sponsor today is 40 Roasted Rotisserie Chickens. <laughs>
want to know why I lack the drive of this man. <laughs> we are back from our break. Uh, in the meantime. Thanks for our sponsors. 40 rotisserie chickens. <laughs> <laughs> you can do it if you put your mind to it. So during the break, I was sharing with Michael a story about a, dare I say, a South Philadelphian legend. Oh, this man's a superhero. He's a superhero. He's like an Avengers-level superhero. Uh, he... The man, There's ate, Iron Man, <laughs> Captain America, and Chicken Man. <laughs> dude, the guy ate 40 rotisserie chickens in 40 days. And the flyer that he posted for his not-a-party when he consumed <laughs> his final chicken. I'm, I'm making it, I'm making it the, the, the image for the episode. So just look at that flyer. <laughs> and then follow that, follow that story down the rabbit hole and see if you're not as equal as entertained as I am. We literally have spent the past, I don't know, 20 minutes, half an hour, oh, at least just double over, just reading. It's the best article written since, I don't know, like we'll put it on S. Thompson. Well, yeah. Pure gonzo shit, man. For it's real. Pure gonzo <laughs> pure journalism. Gonzo journalism. <laughs> it's they. I'll, we'll put the article on the Facebook page or uh, we'll, we'll post. You'll it. find it. In it. Don't we'll worry. put it again in the episode. It's, <laughs> it's, I'll post it once a month. I don't give a shit. It might be the new what you've been watching logo for like a <laughs> flyer that this man Fuck made. you, Matthew. Yeah, what have you done? <laughs> but the man made a flyer where he was going to be to consume his 40th chicken in as many days. And Michael and I have been sitting here laughing about We read the news article. And I, Michael's so – I'm glad that he's here because this is my second time reading an article. <laughs> and I laugh just as hard the second time because he's here with me. And I'm so glad he appreciates it. Last night at like 11 o'clock, I was – Peeing myself laughing, rolling around in the bed, just giggling to myself. <laughs> yeah, dude, it was bad. It was bad. Uh, but we're here now, so thank you for... Um, What's his name? Alex... Uh, Alex Tominsky. Tominsky, Alexander that's Tominsky. It. You, you are hereby uh, what you've been watching, Hero. I'll of put you legendary status. I mean, you're going up there with Jeremy I'll, Renners for I was time. just about to We're say. We're just going to put a rotisserie chicken up there. <laughs> on the wall. Just the bones of it. Oh my God! <laughs> Starts at noon sharp on the abandoned pier behind the Walmart. This is not a party. <laughs> this is not a party. <laughs> I love. I love that he's so South Philly. He had to specify this like is, this is not a party. This is just a man fucking up his fortieth chicken, fortieth foul in a row. <laughs> and what have you done with your life? Is the question here? Um, hey Linda, <laughs> the Phillies are out. You want to go watch this dude fuck up a rotisserie? Yeah, <laughs> you absolutely. can stop by the Wawa on the way home. Absolutely, that's what it is. Uh, oh no, I mean, what have you done with your life comparatively? But <laughs> my diaphragm hurts. Oh, I know, dude. We got to pivot and not off the one of this. on my rib cage. I know. <laughs> we got we got to pivot off this. Uh, oh lord! Yeah, we'll so post. shout out to you, forty rotisserie chickens, Alexander Tominsky. You've just you're the underrated performer of the week, and you of, of a lifetime of a lifetime. I um yeah I wish I could strive for something as excellent as that, sir. <laughs> right. One day in my life, I will never. There's the Michelangelo's David. Alex Tominsky. Yeah. <laughs> and Goodfellas. Yeah. I will never accomplish anything as good as any of those. When we get our one millionth stream on Spotify or whatever, we're going to throw that shit directly in the trash. <laughs> directly in the trash. Hill of beans, sir. Hill of beans. <laughs> All right. Uh, we are here to pivot off of 40 Rotisserie Chickens, and we are here to talk about Godzilla minus one. Ooh. What did you think about it? Tell the people, Michael. I mean... I loved it. I mean, just I actually did too. It's it's 
it's a true return to form of a classic Godzilla story. I mean, you, you watch the 19, I think it's what, 53, 54? Whatever it is. Uh, Toho, which is essentially, you know, unstoppable forces is coming to stomp Japan. And it's sort of the, it's this, it's not just the story of the tragedy of the impact of that event, but also like how people cope with it and how people, um, sort of deal with the knowing that the, the conflict is coming and they can't stop it. Absolutely. It's do you a, run, do you fight? Do you, you know, hug your loved ones one last time? You know, what do you do? It's also analogous. If that's a word, I think it, it is yeah. of, um, yeah. Anal gust. I know, right? <laughs> of um, humankind unleashing a new monster in terms of nuclear warfare. For sure. For and sure. Yes, I, absolutely. The after effects. And, oh, we don't even know. This is a power unknown. But, like, hey, we've just unleashed a force that we don't even understand. And it's represented in Godzilla. But Godzilla minus one is um, certainly almost a soft reboot, kind of. But not really. Because it doesn't necessarily reboot it. But... It's not. It's not tied in with the the legendary pictures. I, I, yeah, I would MonsterVerse. Say, yeah, it's, I would. It's not. I, I would say it's more of a reimagining of the classic tale. It's, it's a better it's, way to put it's, it. Yeah. It's sort of. It, it's not. I mean, who knows? Maybe it might launch a whole new series. But I'm I'm for it if they do. Um, eh, I kind of. I mean, spoiler alert. They do kind of end it on a cliffhanger where like maybe there's gonna be another one. Maybe, but yeah. So um, as, as I was saying earlier, it's not connected to the the legendary pictures monster no 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 and i am actually all for it and i don't those movies have their place and i'm not here to shit on them or whatever but this is a true return to old school godzilla form and actually put out by toho studios you know yeah Yeah, uh like i said it's it's put out by toho uh industries um it really is a a classic reimagining of the original story i mean in terms of in the original Godzilla movie, Godzilla is sighted. There's a, a brief period where they, you know, the the uh, Japanese defense forces have to plan that Godzilla is going to make landfall. What do we do when he finally hits the city? He eventually does hit the city. People react. There's, you know, scientists trying to plot and figure out how do we eliminate this basically unstoppable force, which right. is also what happens here, albeit in a very different way. Yeah, you couldn't just do the oxygen bomb again, or the, right? Yeah, I mean they kind of do a little bit, kind of, kind of. It's, um, but yeah, it's we can spoil it, but we'll, but then, we'll get there though. But then on on top of it also being a a really really good Godzilla movie with you know all the wanton destruction and and the impact of what happens when um, disaster strikes in your backyard. There's also a really really good human element to it, which. I've always sort of had a problem with in Godzilla movies, like nine times out of 10, especially in, in the, the legendary pictures, the, the Godzilla, the, I think it started off in 2015. I think so. 2015, 14, 16. Yeah. The, 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 the one with uh, Elizabeth Olsen and Aaron Taylor Johnson and uh, right. It was Gareth Edwards. Gareth directed. Edwards. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Which I mix up with Gareth Evans who directed the raid, but here nor there. But Same yeah. thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Welcome to the What You've Been Watching know, podcast. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, there's also a really good human element, which I've kind of always had a problem with, especially in like the especially in the like 2015 version where like with uh, Millie Bobby Brown and uh, oh, you're not talking about the 2015. You're talking about King of Monsters or okay, yeah, the sequel sure, to the right, 2015. Right, right, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Though. But but even still, with the 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 Aaron Taylor uh, Gareth Edwards one, there's a certain element where once you 
unleash Godzilla, like sort of once you pull the sheet off the monster, I kind of don't give a fuck about the human element. I just want to see monster smashing shit. And I think that this movie does a really, really, really good job of making me care about the human storyline. Like Godzilla's impact. Yes. Not just, not just affects the country and impacts the country in, in devastating ways, but it's also a very personal story of why this dude is connected to Godzilla. It is personal to him. And it's also very personal to the country of Japan. I mean, arguably that might be Japan's most famous star of all time, you know, but in the sense of the movie and how they contextualize it there, it's post world war two. And so the, the Soviets and the Americans are at, are at wit's end and right. neither one of them are willing to risk war with the other one by helping Japan. They're just like, right. we're going to stay out of this entirely and help's not coming. Right. So, right. Like, so once Godzilla hits, it's basically like, Hey, you guys are, you know, a ransacked or a country you guys that, are on, on your own. Yeah. That has already ex- exhausted all of its natural supplies is in, um, uh, what's it when you hand over, um, military supplies after you lose a war, um, like, um, um Golly, what's reparations? It? No, they've handed over a lot of their arms to make sure that they don't rise up or whatever. Oh, okay. oh, uh, demilitarization. Yeah, thank you, thank you. That was the term I was looking for. Yeah, there's another term, but that one works for right, for the right. sake of the. So yeah, they're they're going through that via whatever convention, Geneva or whatever the hell it was, whatever peace treaty was signed. They're like, okay, you're not allowed to have X amount of naval ships anymore. You have to decommission them. Right. Things they, of that nature. Basically, Japan can't have a offensive army. They can they can have a defense force, right? But it has to be strictly restricted to... So, uh, yeah, so ultimately it's like, how do these people who have just been ravaged by a nuclear bomb and the bombings of, of just beyond the, the nuclear ones, but like... Right, the fire bombings the on fire Tokyo bombings and Nagasaki. Tokyo, and, yep, yeah. yep. So, like, how do these people rise up when an even arguably greater threat and um, the, the galvanization of these people... Ooh, galvanization. I know, and it's, um, it's captivating, man. Because yeah. like, like you said earlier, I usually don't give a crap about the human element. I actually didn't mind it as much in the 2015 Godzilla with uh, the Gareth Edward, Edwards mm-hmm. one we mentioned because they at least disguised it with some really cool shots of him like doing the halo jump with like the red sure. flares amongst. Yeah, that was dope. Um, yeah, I was also curious where they were introducing like the mutos and things like that. So they 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 did a well enough job in that one, um, obviously. But um, this one, they really hammer the emotional point home. Mm-hmm. And I think why that's kind of why this one works for me. And my big beef that I had with the sequel to the Godzilla mentioned earlier, uh, the Gareth Edwards one, Godzilla versus Kong. No, no, no. King Godzilla King of monsters with mm-hmm. King Ghidorah. There's a certain point in the movie where it's hitting the climax. All right. It's the third, a- the third act is, is underway, whatever. And we're getting to the climax of the film. And at one point they realize Godzilla's here to help. He's here to restore the balance. King Ghidorah is going to destroy us all. So is Rodan. And so Mothra and Godzilla are teaming up to stop uh, King Ghidorah and um, and Rodan. Mm. All right. And at one point, the humans realize, oh, Godzilla's on our side. So they have this awesome shot of um, Godzilla running into the city of Boston. All right. And there's like F-22 jet fighters flying behind them. Mothra swooping in. Right. And I'm like, oh. America. It's, yeah. And it's and like. Godzilla. Right. And it's, it's about to be like, this is. This is what I've signed up for when I'm thinking of, of Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. And as soon as they do that sweeping shot, they immediately cut to Scooby-Doo and the gang <laughs> on the ground. And I remember thinking to myself in the theater and saying it out loud, I don't give a fuck right. 
what you're doing at this point. And not because I didn't care about the characters or they didn't have personal stakes, but it was inconsequential right. to what they were doing. Right. And somebody worded as, if you fail your mission, you're fucked. Right. But if Godzilla fails, the world is, is effed. Right. So... Why do do I care? Do you want tyrannical dragon overlords? Because that's how you get tyrannical dragon overlords. Exactly. And so (laughs) it was inconsequential to the greater story at that point. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I don't don't give a fuck what Eleven from Stranger Things is doing. I don't give a fuck about, was it Patrick Bateman? No. No. Uh, no. It was the dude from um, the the second Planet of the Apes movie, I think. Uh, Whatever. Anyway. It doesn't matter. Um, But yeah, and so this one... Every time they they slow down the the plot of Godzilla minus one, Lucas Black. That's his name. <laughs> yeah, callback. Well played. Um, but every time they slow down the plot of of um, Godzilla minus one, they I understand that you have to do that in in films of just like action movies things like that because what you have to do is reestablish stakes mm. and then raise them and go okay here's where we were here's what we lost here's what we need to achieve. So when they re reevaluate the stakes. They're personal to the heroes. Um, ultimately, what it is is the main character. What's his name? Kiyashi. Uh, I'm probably mispronouncing it. Koichi. 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 Sorry, Koichi. sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, I was close, but yeah, Samsonite. It's way <laughs> off. Um, dumb and dumber jokes, man. Always good. Um, wasn't it Koichi? Koichi. Koichi. Yeah, he was a uh, kamikaze pilot that was supposed to obviously fulfill his mission. Right. You know what that means. And uh, midway through, he decides he fakes that his plane is um, having mechanical issues. Right. So he lands on some island that's like a fuel port or a, a repair yeah, shop. It's, it's some like random atoll in the in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Right. Basically. Right. Yeah. Some some no name island. Right. And uh, at that point, when he's there, um, Godzilla, a, a much younger Godzilla, emerges from the sea and wrecks shop on this island. And they're like, "Oh, the, the locals call him Godzilla, Gojira, whatever." And his task is to go, at one point, they're like, oh, you have a, a machine gun on your plane. You can, without taking off, you can fire at Godzilla, and he freezes, and he doesn't do it. Mm-hmm. And it ends up everybody but one person gets massacred, just destroyed by Godzilla. In spectacular Spe- and gory fashion. Yes. Like, this is, I want to stress that this Godzilla is... A little bigger than a T-Rex, probably. Well... But also, it's it's a much more violent Godzilla in terms of you see him biting people, you see him stomping on people, even even in the in the climax when he's wrecking through Tokyo. I mean, like oh, I just he, meant at that stage he was a little he's not a fully developed Godzilla yet, he right? Was, but, yeah, but, sorry, but, but 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 even then, we we get glimpses into like how violent this yes. movie is going to be because he's biting people in half, he's you know flinging them hundreds of yeah, thousands of yards, in, yeah, yeah, in, <laughs> yeah, into the jungle, whatever. Um, he's stomping on people. And then in, in the climax when he's full blown Godzilla, I mean, he's just stomping on crowds of people. He's, you know, trying to turn down an alleyway and his tail just takes out an entire Entire building. building, And you see like people getting, you see people getting crushed by the rubble. It's very like reminiscent of, of like almost like videos of nine 11 or something like that. It's, 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 it's almost that nerve wracking and, and, and sort of, uh, impactful. And it like, right. It just, that, that was the image that was coming to my mind when I was watching the movie is like, Oh, this is like watching news footage of the nine 11 attacks and just people running and just dust clouds and right. buildings collapsing. And they do a good job of, of 
portraying the people of, I think they're in Tokyo at this point. Yeah. Of being helpless. Of yeah. them knowing there is nothing I can do. I can run or I can hide. My odds are probably about the same yep. either way. Yep. Like, yep. Um, Flip a coin, dude. Yeah, it's, what do you do? Well, we're helpless in this scenario. Um, but they do a really good job of, of um, the human element of this kamikaze pilot then comes back to uh, the homeland, whatever, after this horrific um, slaughter right. by, the, by Godzilla. He, he could have potentially ended the whole conflict by just... Pulling trigger, but for some reason he right. he freezes up. He has like anxiety or performance issues or something like that. Yeah, and he uh, he comes back, and obviously the the city he returns to is in shambles due to the firebombing and stuff like this. And immediately his neighbor, who is this this woman or whatever, starts giving him some shit. Is just like you are a kamikaze pilot. What are you doing here? Right. If you did your job, my husband wouldn't be dead. Half this village wouldn't be dead, you know, or maybe they wouldn't be dead. But right, like, right. you should pretty much she shames the hell out of them. Like, you should be very much so ashamed of yourself. Which is a little bit. It's a cultural thing, it, certainly. It, it certainly is a cultural thing. It, it's a little over the top, but it, again, I, I also the, the the impetus and the the importance of kamikaze pilots, especially towards the end of the war. And I'm I'm just gonna dad mode out here no, for a good. second. Um, I mean, they they literally were pinning the entire war on the success of kamikaze pilots. Like we will fail unless you make the ultimate sacrifice and like your sacrifice. Yes. It's going to cost you your life, but it brings down an entire, you know, Naval destroyer, which is 13, you know, 1300 American sailors. And then they can't launch fighter pilots and then they can't defend their aircraft carriers. They can't, you know, they can't run or good. Exactly. Exactly. And so there's a certain aspect of uh, Koichi having sort of survivor's guilt, not just about not being able to fulfill his kamikaze mission, but also like in the face of actual real danger where like his actions could have saved a lot, not just maybe not just ended the war, but but his actions could have saved his fellow uh, soldiers lives. And he froze and and didn't perform. And how do you kind of live with that and sort of like, not only have I failed once on a, on a grand like national scale, I failed again on a very personal scale. Yeah. And the shame he must carry for all that. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned the survivor's guilt. That's a huge aspect of this whole movie. Yeah. And they really hammer it home. Um, Oh, uh, the, one of the aspects of him not fulfilling his his uh, his duty or whatever is they're like at this point in the war, even one of the, the other mechanics that plays a role later um, says like kamikaze pilot man, I couldn't do it, especially at this point in the war. Like we know it's over, right? Right. Anybody with half a brain knows like, you're dying for a lost. cause. You're dying for a lost yeah. cause, man. But hey, good on you, buddy. And he's like, yeah, 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 sure. What do you know? Yeah, it wasn't like I chose this one i got recruited into it right you know um, they sent me a letter and i was like cool i guess i'll go yeah and so with this i think if if the first godzilla is um parallels the nuclear fallout mm-hmm. this one this godzilla minus minus one mm-hmm. i almost said minus zero <laughs> that does not make sense um but yeah, in Godzilla minus one, he is very much so he represents i believe and this is i think michael may agree with me Godzilla represents the inevitability of death and sure. it is, un, it is, we, it is marching towards us all one way or another. And with all this, 
with the whole ongoing theme of like, hey, Godzilla is the death. You've skated it once by by not following your kamikaze duty. You've right. skated it once by when you did not uh, when you landed here, and you're like one of two survivors who uh, survives their initial encounter with Godzilla. Right. You come back, and then you begin to to think. You're like, oh, maybe I can have a life. Maybe I can be happy again. He meets this this girl who pretty much found an abandoned kid, and then they start a life together. Both of them are not the parents yeah, of this it's, child. It's, it's sort of uh, the island of misfits toys in terms of... This woman, Noriko, is, is the woman who right, found the right. baby. Noriko, Akiko. and then the baby is... Uh, Akiko. Akiko, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, he comes home. His, his entire neighborhood has been firebombed. His parents are dead. His neighbor's children are dead. And sort of this girl just moves in and is like, no, I'm just, I'm with you now. Yeah. And never goes away. Yeah, and her... Akiko is neither one of their daughter. Right, right, right. Uh, just found, like, yeah. abandoned, yeah. It's 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 one of those, yeah, Noriko just sort of in Pro- the... What it, it, she promised the dying parents, that's is what, right, what that's she alludes right. to. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. oh, they, they handed her, the mom handed me the baby, right. and I was like, hey, take care. She said care. something like the mom was literally in, fl- in flames when she handed me her kid. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so something like that, but... um, So it's this kind of whole parallel of, like, this guy starts to be begin to build a life... And the one thing I can really relate to him on is he gets the feeling of this imposter syndrome yeah. of like, and this is going to be a little bit mental healthy and some of my own story, but I really related to him in the sense of like, why do I deserve this happiness? You know, I've been pretty, yeah. I've been pretty candid about my alcoholism and my struggles with it. And now I've, I'm very grateful to have be, be on the other side of it. It's still a struggle. I still, you know, it's a daily reproach, you know, right. it's sure. arrested yeah, yeah. daily by my actions. So but I sometimes think of like, man, I caused so much damage that like you begin to feel unworthy of redemption. And at least for me, I did um, of like, man, I caused a lot of damage. I'm very grateful. And even like, you know, my, my eldest brother over here, it wasn't smooth sailing during that time. So sure. I'm grateful for the fact that he forgave me. But I often struggled with like, I'm not worth it. And in fact, that actually kept me drinking for quite some time was like, you're not worthy of redemption. Sure, All that sure, fairy tale sure. shit that. You are a piece of garbage, and you know it, and your actions prove it otherwise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I sometimes, just being really real here, suffer that same imposter syndrome of being like, I don't deserve this this second bite at the apple. And so this guy, uh, Koichi, very much so feels the same way. Yeah. yeah. And when Godzilla, spoiler alert, we're going to spoil the movie, you haven't seen it, put it on pause, come back. Shit was awesome, right? Really good movie, right? right. Yeah. Um, so when Godzilla finally does attack again and he believes that he is, uh, Noriko or Noriko is killed. He says this line. He's like, how dare I thought that I could dream again? Yeah. Like how dare I? I and it's, it's a really powerful yeah. line being like, damn. And you know, everyone gives him crap. All of his, his buddies that, you know, he worked on a boat at one point and it's, I'm trying to not just give you the plot of the story. Right. But, um, they're like, you should have married her. You, and he's like, I couldn't, I couldn't, I'm still fighting. He's still fighting an internal war because he, unfortunately, whether it's his ego or anything like that, can't let his trauma go. Yeah. And one of the overarching themes is like, it's your trauma. It's your shit. What, whatever you've gone through is inconsequential to the person next to you. Largely. It's how you deal with it. You know, if you walk around all day like, oh, man, uh, you got to forgive me. My mom died at a certain point. It's like, yeah, she did. How are you going to deal with it? Right. It is your shit for you to let go. Like, yeah, your mom died. Like you're 40. That happened when you were 11, dude. Like I understand it's traumatic and I understand that like 
you know, I can empathize. I, I can empathize, and I understand that, like, yes, it has completely shaped your world, your worldview. But at some point, are you going to let it define your worldview? Right. You know, like, at some point, you have to be the one that goes. I just got to set that fucking cross down. Just, yep. just, just unload it. Just, however, right. Uh, you know, and 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 I get that. You know, I, I was going to say as you were saying earlier, talking about imposter syndrome, like I, I very much suffer from the same thing in terms of everything that everything bad that happens in my life. I automatically internalize like, well, yeah, because you deserve it. You stupid piece of shit because you did X, Y, Z and because you're not a good person and because you're whatever, whatever, whatever. Like it's, it's just a way of not necessarily making it okay, but rationalizing your pain in terms of like, well, yeah, because you're, you're miserable, you're miserable because you deserve it because your actions have, your actions have directly led to these consequences so of course, and some, it, it's hard to differentiate sometimes, you know, it, it's, yes, you are ultimately responsible for all of your actions in this world. It doesn't mean that there's necessarily like outside influences or just random happenstance or right. just, you know, sometimes just bad shit happens and right. it has nothing to do with what you did or didn't do. I, I mean, anyway, I, I say all that to say that, like, I sometimes have a problem differentiating between the two in terms of this is just a thing that happened to me and I deserve this thing that happened to me. So no, that's really I, well I, said. I, I think that Koichi kind of suffers from kind of the same thing. Like, yes, it's you being drawn into being a kamikaze pilot was not your fault. How you dealt with that. That's your fault. Right. You God, did abandon your shift. You did do these things. So. Godzilla storming the island when in, in, in his infancy and completely demolishing your, your friends and, and crew members. Not your fault. How you dealt with it? Yeah, that's kind of your right. fault, you know? And so right. and there, there's this reoccurring theme of trauma and dealing with it and then reinforcing the trauma and sort of like eventually just breaking the cycle of just like, exactly how right. do I get out of this circular thinking of it's my fault and I letting, don't des- letting yeah. go of the ghosts of the past. That's, that's a, they bring that up a lot of like, Oh, I'm still fighting my own war. He can't sleep at night. Cause he mm-hmm. still sees the people on that Island that he didn't shoot Godzilla for. And he's like, Oh, they haunt me every night. And, that's when he says, like, how dare I thought that I could dream. He's like, right. you wouldn't let me, would you? He's like, and he kind of, like, look. he's not actually looking at the ghost, but he's looking at the photographs of the people, and he's, like, kind of, like, nods, like, yeah, you were right all along. Like, right. I don't deserve this. And what you were talking about earlier, and this is maybe a hot topic word or whatever, but it's not in the in the clinical sense. Well, maybe it is, but Speak it's, on it. it's ego is really what it is, man. And a lot of people think that ego is all one side of the coin is just – if you're sitting there saying, I'm the shit, I'm awesome, I am the best thing that ever was, of course that's ego. The same the same thing on the other side of that coin is, I'm a piece of crap. I'm this, I'm that. Because huh. guess what? It's all pointing back at you. I'm a piece of shit. I don't deserve this. I, it's all pointing right back at you. That's- and it's the same thing, dude. It's just the flip side of that coin. And that's what he struggles with. And so when people think ego, it's like, this dude's an egomaniac because he can't put his own shit aside. It's that's still, really, it's still really all him. Yeah, you know? I... 
I, I actually, I have never thought of it in terms of like that before. I've always thought of ego in terms of like, I'm the shit, you know, I'm the alpha male, whatever. But like, you're right. There, there is a certain aspect of, there's also a way to internalize that and flip it yeah. and just, and just make it like, well, it's my fault. And I'm yeah, me, 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 A lot of me's right, in there. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Everybody's against me. Fucking yeah. I deserve this. I, you know, everybody hates me. Yeah. There's, there's a certain ego to that. I never actually thought of that before. That's actually really insightful. Here to help my guy. And Godzilla, <laughs> Godzilla is the catalyst. So. <laughs> um, no, but See, this is why I love this podcast because yeah. we get to we we talk about Godzilla and then I end up having a really not revolutionary uh revelatory moment. Yeah. I, I get to have a really revelatory moment in terms of like, wow, I never realized that about myself. Like I never thought of myself as egotistical, but like, yeah, kind of a little bit. Like there's a certain point of turning it all inside and going like well, what about me? What about my pain? Right, and that's and that's kind of what he suffers from. And it's it's un, the the issue is is that when you're on the flip side of that coin, being down about it, it's more understandable. It's harder to shake somebody out of that and be like, right. yeah, you're being a fucking egomaniac right now. Sure, but, sure, like yeah, you're. But it's people are far more understanding on that one. So we tend as people just to let it slide and pity that person or whatever. And it's really you're not really helping, but it's also not on you to necessarily help that person. So right, it's. And his friends try to shake him out of it. His friends are like, hey, man, like, in this whole time, he's he's really struggling with something I struggle with a lot, too. Was like, what is my purpose? Like, I just skated by. Like, I didn't die, you know, with the kamikaze when I got drafted. I didn't die right. with Godzilla. I didn't die here. When he attacked the city, I didn't die. Like, what am I doing? I'm just here to lose the love of my life and my, my friends and alienate them. Yeah. Like, He gets a job on a on a uh, ship. Basically, they, they go through and they... They their job is to go up and blow up all the mines that were set by the Japanese army and the American uh, naval f- uh, forces. Like apparently there was something like what like sixty two thousand mines strung along the Japanese coast or something right. like that. And so he he signs up with this this uh, ragtag crew of there's the captain, there's a former like arms uh, designer. Yeah, he's an engineer of some kind. Yeah, they call like, him Doc. Like, like, yeah, yeah. The, he's the professor, basically. Right, right. So you got the the boat captain, you got the professor, and then they got the plucky uh, second mate. The you know the kid, yeah. basically, who was too the deckhand. Too, yeah, too young to join the war before it ended, kind of thing. Um, still wants to do his part. But yeah, and that, and that kind of ties into Koichi's uh, sort of trying to make amends for his for for his past transgressions in terms of like if i can clean up the coast of this horrible war that that afflicted my country then somehow like i'm making a difference right he's making enough money now because it's high danger work to like help the the girl um uh, noriko noriko and his quote-unquote daughter akiko right or whatever who's pretty much his daughter at this point he's like oh i'm making enough money you don't have to work she's calling him daddy and he's like i'm not your i'm not your dad kid yeah yeah yeah. i'm not i don't deserve you it's a big thing so um it's it's all that being said, there's a lot of really good thematic stuff going on in this movie. And it, the human element really, it might be heavy handed for some people. A little bit. I, I could see There's touches sure. of that. I dug it though. I really yeah. did. I never felt bored by the drama of it all. No, and no, no. The overarching theme of if Godzilla is to represent the inevitability of death, then the, the other part of that is one of the, the, I guess um, the foils to that, as it were, is 
the precious the preciousness of life or how precious it's a good one that's a new one (laughs) (laughs) um but the preciousness of life and yeah how it is to be valued and how he's like at one point it's like what is at one point he wants to fly once again a kamikaze jet into Godzilla right. in in the grand I'm, I'm going to spare you all the details but he's like I'm going to fly this plane into Godzilla's mouth and that'll be the end right. I'll be able to defeat him once and for all the climax is Koichi has to fly a experimental plane to lure Godzilla to a certain place but he comes up with an ulterior plan where well if this fails I'm going to load up my plane with bombs and just kamikaze style fly into Godzilla's mouth and try and kill him Right, because of past experiences, they think that it might work. But right. we'll spell you all the details. But right. go watch the movie; it's yeah, worth yeah, it. it's totally worth it. But at one point, um, somebody's talking to him. He's like, "Your death is ultimately going to mean nothing. Like, right. you have a daughter to live for now." And everyone always says there's this big thing, and um, you'll hear it in, in certain rooms where people always talk about, "Oh, I'd I'd, I'd kill for my daughter. I'd kill right. for my wife. I'd do this." And the argument that is made in this is, "Yes, you." You die for me. Yes, you'd kill for me. Are you willing to live for me? Are you willing to not eat forty fucking Roasted rotisserie chicken. <laughs> chickens every day? Are you willing to stop being a booze hound? Are you right. willing to stop smoking cigarettes? So, yeah. Are you willing to you know like what sac- live for me? Right. You know? You're talking about the ultimate sacrifice of your life and dying for right. me. What small end sacrifices are you willing to make to live for me? Right. Right. And so I, I understand that you're willing to die for this mission. What do you have to live for? Right. And yeah. that's that's the it starts to begin become clear to a lot of the characters of like, oh, all this death is meaningless. It mm-hmm. is inevitable. Mm-hmm. But if we band together and live together, like we may be able to stave it off for a little while. And it, it's it's really compelling. The idea that they pitch it into like Godzilla is inevitable. Like there is not much you can do to stop him. They hit him with all the big guns, and I'll let you talk about it. But the way they do his atomic breath is fucking dope. It's amazing. His scales like light up blue, obviously, and then they raise up. Like, yeah, and they go up his back and they kind of extend like an extra however many. And then it's it's almost like pulling the hammer back on a gun. Yes. You know what I mean? Like you pull the hammer back, you know, there's business coming and then you're just waiting for somebody to pull the trigger and then you see the hammer fire forward. It's like, that's the money shot. That's it right there. His spikes slam home and the beam goes and it's, there's a brilliant shot of Godzilla lets his atomic breath go and he melts a carrier uh, or like some some war machine mm. way off the coast and it just it carves a trench all I mean what, hundreds of miles you can probably see it oh yeah yeah and in the end it, you see um Ko- Koichi he's on the ground and he's like oh this destruction whatever and it's probably like a solid minute and a half goes on and from that point like he starts to realize like oh I think I just lost my wife and daughter and he starts to cry and scream or whatever and like it's like I said, it's like a minute and a half later, and then all this blood and mud just starts to rain down. Right, on him. And if you right. think about what force that took to drive something that high in the air right, right. and push it that far away for the explosion to hit you a minute and a half later, yeah, it's like it's like it's, it's like uh, it's like Vesuvius or Mount St. Helens or something like that. You know, like the mountain explodes, and then twenty minutes later, you start getting this volcanic rain of ash. You're like, whoa! How far in the stratosphere do they have to shoot this shit? It's a really good shot. To where now it's just finally hitting. Like yeah. it's 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 very impactful. It, it's one of those really well done writing and directorial uh, uh, angles that just sort of show. Like it's so subtle, but it's so important. You know, like 
it's, it, if, if you're not paying attention or, or, or you don't realize fully what's going on, you'll miss it. But when it finally hits you, you're like, oh, shit. It was it stood out to me in terms of like I thought that they just weren't going to show the impact at all, and then it was like you start to see it, and it's like you're like okay, the damage is far away enough, and then like right before they cut camera to the next scene, you get like three seconds of it just start to rain on them. Yeah, and it's he just, just raining loses blood and viscera like, and, and debris and ash. The patience of that shot is is genius. Yeah, I, I was yeah, really yeah. impressed by that shot, man. Yeah, that, most people the, would would spoon feed it to you, and I was like. Well played, director. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Who well, I won't try to butcher your name. You've you've earned enough respect on this movie that usually we just swing for the fences and try to butcher <laughs> it. I'll try. I'll try to come back later. Um, but yeah, no, there's a lot of really, really, really good shots in there, and um, I got to give it credit. Um, the idea of allowing yourself to let go of your trauma and truly try to begin to find your own happiness and peace—it's right. really powerful stuff, and it's. It's perfectly stated. It's not too heavy, not too light. I mean, again, you might find some of it heavy, but they inter- they interject that with enough Godzilla destruction. That uh, I was just going to say, we've been talking about the human element for like oh, I'm willing fifteen to talk. minutes now, but like, also, it is a really good Godzilla movie. Like, they, I, I can't I, I can't stress that enough. Like, it, it really is worthwhile. I mean, this movie cost them what, like eleven million dollars, something like I that. I think they said that was the budget. So, I mean, eleven million dollars. And you can really, really tell where they spent the budget. I, I think you and I have kind of talked about this before. Like, if you're going to have a big blockbuster kaiju CGI driven movie, it's important to spend the money where it's necessary. And they do a really, really good job of all the human elements are very, I mean, like, it could almost be like a Steven Spielberg, like, World War II movie. You know, right. like, it, it looks like it's very, it's very, uh, 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 historically accurate it's 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 small sets you know small burned out hovels and villages and stuff like that and then wide angle streets of just like oh we're just gonna paint this city of of whatever in japan to look like tokyo 1953 you know um so there is that but then also like the shots of godzilla you know especially shooting his nuclear breath and and there are some elements of you can tell that they used a lot of the CGI shots in repetition. Like I would they're, say, they're, a lot. You pay attention, you'll see them. But it, but to their credit, it's only like Godzilla is walking between buildings or reactionary shots of like, oh my god, it's Godzilla coming from the right. Okay, it's the same shot, but Godzilla coming from the left. So right. But all in all, like that doesn't really matter to me because all you're just showing is you're, you're just setting up an establishing shot to, to sort of show where people are. So that's fine. Like spend the money on Godzilla cranking up his spines and charging up his fire breath or swinging his tail and taking down a whole building and it just crumbles on a whole crowd of people or, you know, what have you, you know? No, you, you hit the nail on the head when you said that they, they spent the money in the right places. And there's a certain amount of it that, I mean, let's be real. At a certain point, old school Godzilla movies became pretty much Saturday morning cartoons. Oh, yeah. And I don't mean the actual Saturday morning Godzilla cartoon, but by a certain point. Just way more campy, way more like, I hate to say family driven, but like more driven towards like kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's more than fair. But uh, so I actually don't mind if there's a little wink to the camera of almost like, hey, this doesn't need to be a hundred million dollar mm-hmm. movie. Like we can, yeah. we've done Godzilla movies for the cheap forever. But 
whatever money they did spend, I can't emphasize this enough, and I'm so glad you brought it up. They spend it in the right places. Yeah. Like, yeah, it yeah. doesn't take you out of it. You're like, oh, that just looks ugly. The shots where you're like, oh, this is the money shot of Godzilla, they, they bring it, man. Which is, I, I think, kind of why this one works more than, say, like the 2000 Godzilla. You know, yeah. where it was just Matthew, Brod- Matthew Broderick, em- Roland Emmerich vehicle. And uh, Jean Renault. Let's not forget. And an underrated performance of the week. <laughs> no, I'm... not at all. Not on this one. No, not on this one? No, no, no. I don't no. usually get vetoed no, on these. No. I'll accept it. I'll yield this time, sir. There, There is that one line where uh, Matthew Broderick says like, oh, I always want to join the French Foreign Legion. He goes, c'est bon. I don't know what that is. It's yes, good. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I went over my head, but still. Anyway, uh, he just—I just love. Yeah, John. As much as I love Jean Reno in that movie, he does not make that movie. To you, yeah. Anyways, I really liked uh, Sarah Jessica Parker as Godzilla. I think she really—it was really good that Matthew Broderick brought his wife in on that one. (laughs) So mean to her. Fuck. Yeah, I know. She's just crying herself to sleep in her millions of dollars on her Beverly Hills mansion while I'm. Struggling to still, buy Chick Fil A, you could still be mean to her and exclude <laughs> you. Words, listen, and feelings have power. Anytime but, Sarah Jessica Parker wants to challenge me to a race, I will meet her at Kentucky Derby, <laughs> wearing a big hat, and that's what we call doubling down. All right, but no, you were saying where it faltered against Godzilla two thousand. Oh, where besides just the bad script, but right, uh, yeah, you're talking about CGI though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just the the CGI in that one is is. That's a bad example of they spent $160 million to make a CGI movie, and the CGI looks like shit. Right. It's especially bad when you... And I'm not, I'm not trying to take shots, but a lot of superhero movies has be, have become a CGI fest at the end. Yep. And it's like... how Fight do you, the big floating thing in the sky. How do you spend hundreds of millions of dollars on this? And it's like, it doesn't look that good. And Godzilla, it's I understand that it's a different type of movie because I guess it's smaller in a weird way, but... It, like, it looks fine. It, well, some of it just looks like dog crap in some of the higher budget movies. It's like, y'all better get your game right, because he, right. he's challenging right now whoever right. this director is. Right, right. I think he, made, he, was, he made an $11 million movie, and it's already made, like, I want to say, like, $80 million or something like that worldwide. Th- I think it made its money back just in America alone, and that was just off Done. the first weekend. Yeah. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, I think it debuted at, like, number three in the box office, which, good which for you, man. goes to show you, like, you don't have to spend... $160 million to make a movie. Yeah. You can make a movie for conservatively, let's say, $20 million. $20 million. Ask Robert Rodriguez how to do it. I, I mean, <laughs> as long as the story is compelling and as long as it's a good movie, people will go see it. I mean, of course, there's also the Fast and the Furious where it's... Respect, I'm not, we're not it's, saying it's $200 million, but it, that's a spectacle movie. Yeah, you those know? have like, their place. We're not saying anything like, about that, but... I'm just saying that doesn't have to be the blueprint. Right. You know, right. like, it, it's not like, well, yeah, Fast and the Furious made, you know, $180 million just in the U.S., but not everyone wants to go see the Fast and the Furious, you know? Like, right. You can do an eleven million dollar movie and make your money back. It's yeah, it's been proven. Yeah, I'm rooting for this movie's success on a lot of different levels. A hundred percent. So plus, uh, there is such a thing as bad Godzilla, but like I'm also to the mindset of just make more because some of them are going to be hits. You know, right. don't don't oversaturate it because I think that's a little bit where we're at with the superhero market. But 
every five years, if you're like, hey, different different Godzilla, I'm like, bring it. Yeah, every bring like it. every eight it. to ten years, break out a new Godzilla. Because if you watch the not the original, but the uh, the the one we mentioned earlier earlier, the Gareth Edwards mm-hmm. Godzilla, the 2015 one with um, Garth Ennis, with uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson. Yes, if you watch that, I don't know how that the tone of that movie was the springboard. For where they're at now in the monster. Oh my god! Uh, it it pivoted quickly. I, I think Kong Skull Island didn't help it, but it pivoted from that movie. I I really took pretty seriously, and now it's like, oh, it's have fine. You, but have you seen the the trailer for Kong X Scott or Godzilla X Kong New Hidden Kingdom or whatever Kingdom Rising of the Apes? Uh, yeah, I did. That last shot in the trailer where it's Kong and Godzilla running. Like sprinting, Be- like sprinting behind, like there's some sort of explosion happening in the background. I was like, when did Kong and Godzilla become the Avengers? When did this happen? Like, and that's sort of the problem of like, it doesn't have to all be CGI spectacle. It doesn't have like, you can't just attach Godzilla to a thing and then be like, it's a good Godzilla movie, right? right. Like right. there's a certain formula that works with Godzilla. And I think this one really, really adheres to it. Like, Godzilla minus one adheres to like Godzilla is a natural disaster. Here's how the normal population deal with it. And then we're also going to throw in a very specific storyline that has to deal with how do I deal with Godzilla personally? Right. You know, like you and I were kind of talking about like everybody talks about, you know, they try to empathize and sympathize like, Hey man, I've been there before. Like, this dude is very much like, no, you haven't. Right. Did you ever watch a giant sea lizard rise out of the ocean and then massacre your friends? No, you didn't. Doubtful. <laughs> this is a very unique traumatic experience. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't really tell anybody because you're just going to be crazy anyways. Right. Because like, then you're like, right. Oh, this giant lizard came out and started and like, sure he did. Sure he did. Right, right. on, buddy. And why didn't you kamikaze again? Right. Because oh, you're a coward? Okay. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, a lot of lack of empathy in that part of the culture, I'm sure. But, uh. I don't know. I dug it, man. I think you hit, the, again, the nail on the head talking about the blueprint. And it, it works, man. There's certain formulas. If this is the Godzilla formula that you need to follow to make a good yeah. Godzilla movie, keep at it. And again, I'm not shitting on the MonsterVerse movies. They, those have their place. But they've certainly become closer to the Saturday morning cartoon yes. style Godzilla yeah. that I mentioned earlier. Right. So right. Right. they have their place. I'm all for Godzilla. He is the king of monsters. Um, before we get too repetitive, anything else you want to talk about that we haven't brought up or you want to review it? Uh, yeah, I'm going to give it, um, three traumatic experiences. Well done. I don't know if those are to be celebrated or not, but for the sake of the movie. But it is what it is. I like it. I am going to give it Godzilla. (laughs) 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 He waited for me to go to, um, no, I'm going to give it Godzilla plus one because if I were to throw a party and Godzilla were to come, <laughs> he's so affable that I'm going to be like, yeah, you are you can bring somebody else. It's the plus one. It's just your invite. If I point to you, oh, who are you with? Oh, I'm with Godzilla. I'll be like, oh, you're more than welcome here. The rest That's a back here. plus one. Yeah, as an actual plus one. Here's my question for you. And here's the other thing. I don't usually explain the review process to yeah, y'all. No, no, so right. that means I really like this movie. Right, so. right, right. Yeah, Godzilla so, plus one. So here's my question to you. How many rotisserie chickens do you think Godzilla could eat? <laughs> In a week. 
39 only because he's not a South Philadelphian and he couldn't make it to the 40. Well done, sir. So on that note, man, it's been a pleasure. This has been a really good episode. We dove deep into our personal feelings of trauma and brought it home in, in connection to a movie. We don't usually stick the landing like that, man. I mean, that's, that's sort of the glory of this podcast is, I mean, yes, it is about two stupid idiots talking about stuff that they've watched, but also it's about a lot more than that, which is kind of what this Godzilla movie is about. Absolutely. And if you want to write down whatever thematic tones or um, overarching themes or whatever like that, that you found from this Godzilla plus one or minus one, minus one, Godzilla minus one, it's plus one now. (laughs) Uh, write us in at whatcha been watching podcast at gmail.com. I will we'll talk Godzilla all day with you. Ain't no problems there. So um, I guess in the meantime and in between time, I'm signing out. MD3 signing out. And Marvelous Mike Dudley saying, go watch a movie. And talk about it with someone you love. Up from the depths, 40 stories high. <laughs> <laughs>